I have some good news. The church was made for the season we're in today. It was never made for ease and simplicity. It was never made for consumerism. Jesus Christ did not die and rise from the dead for the church to be comfortable. We forget that. We forget it when we read headlines and we wonder about what's happening in our world when we see what we've seen in Afghanistan and the failure of leadership to do the right thing in the right moment. We forget we're not made for this. You see, we're not home yet. We're missionaries. Your job on planet Earth is a missionary job. It is to speak the word of God. It is to do the acts of God in our world and to care and love people the way God has called us to. Amen? Before World War II, a group of missionaries went into Ethiopia, Sudan Inland Mission. They had a strategy that they had devised that they thought would be the winning ticket to winning Ethiopia. They were going to go into a certain tribe. It was the highest ranking tribe, and they thought if they could influence from the top down, they could be successful. They got mixed up. Apparently, the language wasn't working well for them. They ended up with the lowest tribe, the servant tribe. And so they began. They continued their work, and little did they know that God had another plan, and that was to take the servants who were dispersed through every tribe in Ethiopia and bring the gospel from the bottom up. Then the Italian occupation of Ethiopia came, and all the missionaries had to leave. It was a terrible time. They they knew that the church that they had started would probably not last and they would have to start over. So they left a couple of hundred believers before World War II. And then to their amazement, when they went back after the war to restart their work, there were more than 100,000 believers in Ethiopia. You see, what had happened was that the Holy Spirit was working in that handful of people in those difficult times to bring about some great movement of God. Their doctrine was almost perfect, and the persecution was intense, but the church was made for that hour. Church is made for this hour. You know, when we study history, we wonder about what's happening in our world. You look back and you look at those high moments in American history, and you say, wow, wouldn't it be great to go back to those moments in time? And yet, there were also some low moments in time. I read this uh, headline this week, maybe you saw it too, Harvard's new lead chaplain is an atheist. I don't know, there's two words there that don't seem to go together. And it's not Harvard and new. It's chaplain and atheist. So he oversees the group of about 40 chaplains, and uh, his job is to give them guidance. He said he doesn't believe in God, but he believes that people can solve problems. Well, we've done a great job at that for the last thousand years of history, haven't we? But let me just take you back historically to Harvard. Harvard College was founded with this motto, all knowledge without Christ was vain. In 1692, the motto of Harvard was truth for Christ and the church. Harvard's declared purpose was to train um, a literate clergy 
Ten of the 12 presidents of Harvard prior to the Revolutionary War were ministers. Of, a, of the 108 first schools, university, college level, that were founded in America, 106 were founded on Christianity. Every Ivy League school was founded on the basis of Jesus Christ. What happened? What went wrong? Christians took their hand off the plow. We thought it was gonna all work out that there was somebody smarter, somebody wiser, somebody more influential than us that was going to make a difference. History shows that's not a true statement. If you operate by that mindset, then you and I are destined for bondage. You see, it was never that simple. We are co-laborers with God on planet Earth. And it is our job to help carry out the work of Christ so that the gospel can spread freely throughout the world. What we're seeing today is not new, it is that truth is suppressed. I wanna take you to the book of Romans, chapter one, verses 19, 18, 19, and 21. And here's what Paul says. He's writing not only for the day that he lived, but the day that we live. And if you read the entire chapter, you might even become suspicious that he was writing for our day. It says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against ungodliness, and unrighteousness of men. Now, sometimes when we think about the wrath of God, we think about horrible events that happen in life. We think about all kind of destructive things. But remember, the wrath of God sometimes is his neglect. He just takes his hand off of a nation, of a people, of a community, and says, let me show you what life will be like without me. So it's not always these great acts of judgment that capture the emotion and capture the mindset of people. And he said, why? Why is this who suppress the truth and unrighteousness? Now the word suppress means to hold down. In other words, mankind begins to hold down truth that they know is there. They don't wanna let it get out among people because that which is known about God is manifest in them. Now you see, when God wants to speak to us, he starts with our innate knowledge that there is a God. Every human being, unless they've been taught otherwise, believes that God is the creator of the universe. They walk out into the stars, they look up, and they go, nobody I know made that. And only a fool would walk out into the stars and say, this must have all just evolved. That just doesn't make sense. So it says that that which is known about God is manifest within them. So there is something inside of you. There's a vacuum that cannot be filled except with God. In fact, Pasquale said there is created within man a God-shaped vacuum that only God can fulfill. He says, for God has shown it to them. And although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, but were unthankful and became futile in their thoughts and their foolish hearts were darkened. So what happens when we suppress the truth? When you suppress truth, it has an effect on your life. The thing you do is you say, I have to reject God because God is truth. And as I go down this, there's a downward spiral where futile thoughts and darkened hearts become the reality in my life. 
You see, there's something inside of every person that says there must be a God, and if there is that God, who is he and how do I know him? And that starts out with natural revelation. What's inside of me? in my world around me. In fact, the Bible says the, the heavens declare the very glory of God, and the firmament showeth forth his handiwork. Day in and day out is their circle, revealing God. Even as far back as Solomon, God revealed that the universe was different than mankind thought. It would take somebody named Galileo to come up with the idea that maybe the earth is not the center of the universe, maybe it's the sun. And yet the Bible says that in Psalm 19. You see, the Bible is a revealer of truth. It's not a science book, but when it speaks of science, it's true. And we could go on and on and on. We could do a whole series on science and the Bible. It's an amazing study that I hope we'll get a chance to do one day. You know, the French philosopher Voltaire, who was not a Christian at all, he was just the opposite. He said, if you want to know who controls you, look at who you're not allowed to criticize. We're living in a day where you cannot reveal truth. You cannot criticize anything that is contrarian to your understanding of life and the universe. So it means that we're living in a day of suppressed truth. That makes truth all the more radical, doesn't it? Why do you think you're viewed as a radical? Now, next week, I'm going to speak a message that is going to be a message, I'm, I'm gonna be speaking on 9-12 uh, in Washington, D.C., and I wanna try it out on you first and see if it works. But I'm titling it, The Globalist Agenda for Christianity. And I, I want you to know that there is an agenda that the globalist has for Christianity, but I also want you to know there is a God in the universe who has a better agenda and a better plan for Christianity, amen? You see, God is a revealer of truth. If you wanna know truth, you can find truth. In fact, James says, anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives freely without reproach. If you want wisdom from God, God says, ask me and I'll show you. Just come to me and I'll show you wisdom. I'll open up your heart, your mind, I'll show you things that you did not know. In Matthew chapter 16, and verse 13, it says that Jesus came to his disciples and he asked them a question. He wanted to know what were people saying about him. Have you ever asked that question of your friends? What do people think of me? I mean, if you're in junior high or high school, you're always asking that question, amen? You say, hey, what, does he like me? Does she like me? What do you think? Does the coach like me? It's all about who likes me. Well, Jesus was going not for personality and popularity here. He was going to the core of who do people say that I am? And here's the question. Who do men say that the Son of Man is? Some say John the Baptist. Why others say Elijah, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. That must be who you are. But then he drilled down a little bit and he said, but who do you say that I am. Now, when he uses the phrase, I am, it's not by accident. In fact, in John's gospel throughout that entire book, he will use that phrase on purpose to point people back to the great I am where God and Moses had an encounter in Exodus chapter three, and Moses said, who do, who do you say I am, or who, can, who will I say sent me? And he said, tell him that I am. 
And what Jesus is doing here, he's pointing them back to God. He said, I am God, and I want you to understand that. Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now, the word Christ is the equivalent of the Old Testament Hebrew word, Messiah. In other words, he's saying, you are the promised one. You're the one we've been waiting for. You are, all of our hope is built on you. And notice how Jesus answered in verse 17. He said, Jesus answered and said, blessed are you, for flesh and blood has not revealed that, this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Now here we begin to understand the first part of truth that's critically important, and that is that God is a revealer of truth. Truth is not something you just find anywhere. No, God reveals truth to you. God, by his spirit, speaks to you. Have you ever had those moments where you wondered, was that my voice? Was that God's voice? Or was that the enemy's voice? Well, you see, truth always will point you back to Scripture. Well, what does the Word of God say? The other thing I've known also about how to detect the difference between Satan's voice and God's voice is that God never nags. Satan always does. Hurry up, you gotta do this, you gotta do this, gotta do this, and God just comes with a still, small voice and says, listen, listen. When you tune out everything else, you can hear God. When you're tuned into everything, you can't hear anything. It's just clatter and confusion everywhere you go. You see, creation reveals God. Creation reveals God. I remember listening to Carl Sagan one time, that, that astrophysicist, that atheist who thought he was so smart. And this has been 20 years ago, and he was talking about the shape of the universe. And the, and the interviewer was just fascinated with Sagan, just caught up with him, consumed with him. And he said, well, what is the shape of the universe? He said, well, it's like the shape of a bell. In fact, if you go to NASA website, you can see the shape of the universe. It's like a bell. And he said, it appears to be open at the bottom and open at the top. And I was listening to that, and I thought, well, that's not so interesting. That's what the Bible says the shape of the universe is. It said the shape of the universe is like the tunic of the high priest, woven completely with an opening at the top and an opening at the bottom. It's shaped like a bell. You see, God is a revealer of truth. He went on to talk to him about matter. And he said, well, there was a time where we did not know how much matter was in the universe. There was so much missing, we didn't know what we were missing, but now we've been able to calculate the amount of matter in the universe. Well, I don't know how to do that math, do you? I don't have a calculator that will do that. And anyway, so they, as they began to talk about it, they said, well, then we understood that what we were missing was the water content in the universe. And when we began to do the calculations, we came up with the exact amount of matter in the universe by the water. I thought, well, that's pretty interesting, but that's not surprising because God's already told us that. The Hebrew word for heaven is the word shamaim. It means their waters. When God wanted to flood the universe in Noah's day, he didn't do it with rain. There's not enough rain to do that. He didn't do that the oceans. They were already in place. It says he opened up the fountains of the great deep, which is the universe, and he flooded the earth in that way. He said, now, wait a minute, Pastor. Are you telling me that the Hebrew word for heavens is their waters? I am. In fact, when we send someone up into outer space, we call them an astronaut. 
Astra, from the Latin word, meaning star, and nautica, from the word water, meaning the one who travels into the stars through the waters. You see how obvious some things are? In fact, Job said, and he was a contemporary of Abraham, he said, and the far reaches of the north are frozen like a stone. Now, I don't think Job knew that the out, when you get outside of our atmosphere, that the temperature drops to 458 degrees below zero Fahrenheit. I don't think he would have known that. You ever been on an airplane, you look at the temperature, and it says it's 60 below zero. That's why they don't put openings on those windows. <laughs> Too cold out there. How did he know that it was frozen like a stone? In fact, remember, it was Einstein who said, that when you hit absolute zero, time will stop. That's interesting. The Bible says that when you get to heaven, there's going to be a crystal sea before the throne of God. The only crystal sea I know of is frozen. Is it possible that God was revealing something about the universe in those moments to us? Well, here's the, the great truth that the Bible teaches, and that is that hell cannot win. When I watch the footage of what's happening in Afghanistan, I think that's about as close to hell as you can get. And I wonder and I marvel, I just think those, the poor people there, regardless of their faith, they're human beings, they're living in the bondage of the Stone Age while we sit back and wonder, what is God up to? Well, Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, Jesus went on to say, and I also say to you that you are Peter, and it's the word Petros. Now you see, the Greek language is very interesting because it teaches us something about the Scriptures, doesn't it? The original Bible is written in Greek. And on this rock, Petra, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now let me tell you why this is interesting. Because the word, uh, if, we, if we look at God as the builder of his church, the word Peter is the word Petros. It's a masculine gender, it points back to who Peter was. He was a male. But it means a small stone or a pebble that's easily moved. And he said, Peter, you know, you're like a little stone. You're unstable. You're easily moved. I mean, Peter is definitely the disciple with the, the foot-shaped mouth, isn't he? I mean, he's always doing something. You think, like, Peter, what are you thinking? But then he went on to say, now listen to it. And on this rock, he didn't say Peter because he changes the word. He says Petra, and the word Petra is actually the feminine gender, and it means an immovable stone or a stronghold. He said, Peter, you're like a little stone being tossed to and fro all about. I can't build my world of the kingdom of God on you. What I can do is I can build it on the church. You see the, the feminine there? Otherwise, we get the understanding that, well, maybe Peter's the foundation of the church. No, not at all. That would be an unstable little pebble easily moved. No, I'm building it on me. I'm building it on truth. I'm building it on what I'm going to establish, the church of the living God. That's why it's so amazing when people say, well, I, I'm a Christian, but I don't need church. Well, you haven't read your Bible. Jesus Christ died to establish the church, the body of Christ. Let me ask you something. When you get up in the morning, 
Have you ever had your head just say, I think I'm going to go without you today? I don't need the body. Why do I need the body? I'm a perfectly good head. Well, that's silly. You say, well, yes, but that's what some Christians say when they say, I don't need the church. You're saying, I just need the head, Jesus. I don't need the body. I can function fine. Well, yeah, you're going to just be rolling around everywhere as a head. All right, so look what Psalm 118.22 says. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Yeah, but pastor, do you know what's happening to Christians in Afghanistan? Why they're being persecuted. They're being tracked down like dogs. That's what the news tells us. Did you ever think there might be another story? Did you ever think maybe the church of Jesus Christ is doing something in Afghanistan that they couldn't do before because of persecution? Well, let me just, Catalytic Ministries works with uh, countries in Iran, Pakistan, Afghanistan, and I want you to see what they posted today. Take a look at the screen. We just confirmed a report from Christian leaders in Afghanistan. One underground church network of roughly 320 people has ballooned to approximately 2,500 in the last two weeks. The gates of hell will not prevail. You see, just because you hear something on the news doesn't mean it's all of the truth. A half-truth is a lie. Half the truth, are they hunting them down? Yes, but that's only half of the truth. The other half is that the church was made for this hour. The church is most powerful when it's going through difficulty and challenges, not when it's at ease in Zion. I mean, think about the world you live in here in Orange County. It's pretty simple. Our biggest challenge right now is AB 455, this legislation to try to mandate a vaccine passport in California. If you haven't called your representative, do so now. There's information at AmericanFaith.com. You can go to that website. Not only can you find that, but you can also find, uh, when you go to the health section, you can download religious exemption for a vaccine. If you choose not to take the vaccine, we have it there for you. That's our biggest challenge. Why on earth, if that's our biggest challenge, is our Christianity operating at such a low level? If we believe the world is going, going to get worse and worse and worse, then who are you telling about Jesus Christ? What life have you changed? How much prayer have you put into? What are you doing to make a difference in the world? If the world is really going to hell as we say it is, and it appears to be, then we should be actually mobilizing in a greater way than we ever have before. We should be celebrating the fact that Jesus Christ, the God of the universe, lives within us, and by his spirit and his word, he guides us into all we do. Can you say amen? amen. You see, opposition is to be expected in this world. Jesus said, they've hated me, they're gonna hate you. Do you, did you really think the day that you gave your heart to Christ, you walked into the office or into the school or into the classroom and you said, hey, I've got good news, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, that everybody was gonna celebrate? You're now one of them. You've now become a fanatic. You've now become something very different. And yet Jesus said that the gates of hell, which symbolizes the place where Satan and his demons gather to take counsel against the church, will not prevail against the church. I mean, they've tried to kill the church. 
All through the generations, they've tried to kill the church. My favorite preacher from the South, S.M. Lockridge, used to put it like this, said, uh, all through the generations, they've tried to ignore him and reject him. But when you ignore him and reject him, you'll hear a still small voice that says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. Why, he's Lord, and his lordship is based on his ownership. He did not have to put a patent on the songs the birds sing, for he owns them. He did not have to write his his signature on the meadows of a thousand hills, for he owns it. He's Lord. Yes, he is. I'm telling you, he's Lord. He like honey to the oats. He's like, he like honey to the bees. He's like oats to the horse. He is Lord, amen. Can you say amen? You see, the church will not be overcome. The church will not be overcome for 2,000 years. They've tried to burn the church down, but the church just walked on the water. They've tried to ignore it, but he just kept speaking. You see, God will surprise you with miracles. This church is a, is a testimony of the miracles of God. Day in and day out, we're coming on our 10-year anniversary. We've got some great things planned. Uh, we're gonna be sharing some, some of the things that are happening uh, that I am just thrilled about, but just hang in there. We're gonna tell you. It's gonna be pretty cool. But God will surprise you. Look what he says in Matthew 16 and verse 19. He said, and I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. How many of you have your keys with you right now? Just reach in your pocket, reach in your purse, take out your keys right now. Go ahead, just humor me. Somebody say, I don't need to do that. I can see you. Take out your keys and just shake them. Now I want you to imagine for a moment those are heavenly keys. Those are keys to the kingdom. Keep shaking them. Keep shaking them. Poor crowd out here, only three people have keys. We're gonna get you keys to your house. Don't worry about it. Just shake those keys, shake them. Now imagine those are keys of the kingdom and you're shaking those in the face of Satan. And you're saying, I have the keys to the kingdom. I have the keys. And you don't have them. Only I have them as a believer in Jesus Christ. I have the keys of the kingdom. Every time you pick up your keys, say, I'm going to imagine those are heavenly keys. And I'm going to imagine that I'm shaking them in the face of the enemy. He says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. I didn't give them to anybody else. I didn't give them to the unsaved. I didn't give them to Satan. I didn't give them to demons. I gave them to you. And whatever you bind on earth, earth, look what it says. It's just in the Bible. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. What do you believe in God for right now on earth? He says, bind it. Bind it. Saying, what you say, what does that mean, pastor? That means I'm going to call those things which are not as though they are. I'm going to say it so when it's not so in order for it to be so. That's what faith is. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound where? In heaven, when you bind it in heaven, what happens? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. On earth, what? As it is in heaven. Once you bind it on earth, you can, it's bound in heaven. Now it can come down and be manifest. It says, and whatever you loose on earth. You say, there's some things that need to be loose. There's some things that need to be changed here on earth. He says, whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. This is the promise of God. You say, well, pastor, you really think that's true? I do because I believe the Bible's true. Do you ever just kind of shake your head and scratch your head and look at it and go, yeah, but? Yeah. 
Sure I do, I'm human. But you know what I do? I push through that emotion, I push through that thought, and I say, no, I choose to believe the word of God. Because if I believe God saved me from hell and, gave, and wrote my name in heaven, gave me a place in heaven, why would I not believe this? That's harder than this. Much harder. You see, there are multiple keys in the kingdom. Did you notice how most of you shook, you had more than one key, right? Because you got a key for your car, you got a key for your house, you got whatever you have a key for. Do you know that God says there's multiple keys in the kingdom? You see, one key is going to affect your work. Another key is going to affect your health. Another one's going to affect your influence. He says, which key do you want to use today? So I don't know. You see, earth has an effect on heaven. Isn't that a kind of a crazy thought? Prayer is not just therapeutic. It's not just, I feel better after I pray. Well, that's great. I feel better after I get a massage. <laughs> but there is something different. Can you agree with me? Amen? Yeah. This is not about feelings. I just feel like God's going to come through. Well, so? Well, what does that mean? I feel like I'm gonna, somebody's going to give me a new Jaguar. I'm probably not going to get a Jaguar. It's not about feelings. It's about faith. Faith is substance of things hoped for, the evidence of not, uh, things not seen. He that believes comes to God must believe that he is. Are you ready for this next part? And he is a rewarder of them who diligently seek him. Do you believe God is a rewarder, God? Put your hands together. That's what the Bible says. You say, well, I don't know if I believe that. What's well, what the Bible says? God is a rewarder God. He that comes to God must believe that he is, that is that God exists as he's represented, as he's revealed in the word of God, and that he is a rewarder of them who diligently seek him. Seek him. You see, your future is determined by who you choose to believe. Well, I was talking to my friend, and they're a really good Christian. They don't believe that. Well, they ain't a very good Christian then. They're a bummer of a Christian. I'd run away from them as fast as I could. You mean they're, tr they're trying to destroy your faith in the word of God? That's not a good Christian. That's an enemy of the kingdom of God. Anything that contradicts the word of God in your faith, changes your perspective, takes you away from God is your enemy. Now you got two choices. You can convert your enemy or you can war against your enemy. But they're still your enemy. You gotta know who's, who's speaking into you and what are they saying to you. People say this, well, I read the Bible and I found all kind of contradictions. And I, every time I've had somebody tell me that, I said, well, you just show me them? Well, I don't really know, but somebody showed them to me one time. I said, That's a, that gives me a pain I can't even locate. That's the dumbest thing I ever heard in my life. I had a young law student come to me and, and uh, he had been talking to some of the college students and he was convincing them how smart he was and he was a pretty smart guy and trying to convince them how smart he was and how the Bible wasn't true and so they brought me over. You know, I'm kind of like the great white uh, help here and hope and so they bring me over and they go, hey, you need to talk to him and I go over and I say, hey, I understand you have some problems with the Word of God. I say, yeah, I don't believe the Bible's the Word of God. I said, okay, well then we don't have anything to talk about. 
said, well, well, don't you want to argue with me about it? I said, why? I mean, I know what I believe. You know what you believe. I mean, you're going to split hell wide open. You're going to be in front of God 15 seconds. He's going to send you to hell, and then you're going to be convinced. And I said, so, you know, you're going to get what you want, hell, and I'm going to get what I want, heaven. I think we're just happy. Why would we, why would we tie up the afternoon? I mean, I'm hungry. I want to go to lunch. Let's just, just, let's just get out of here. And the guy said, well, wait a minute. I didn't say I didn't believe any of the Bible. I said, so you just want to pick out the parts you like. I said, your mom probably taught you that, so you, could just, you wouldn't have to eat the greens, and you wouldn't have to eat the carrots, and you wouldn't have to eat this. You just eat, you let little Johnny eat what Johnny wants to eat. You can't do that with the Word of God. Well, the long story short is I led him to Christ, and today he's a pastor in Denver. There's something kind of riveting when you tell a guy it's okay to go to hell. I don't know what it is. It's just kind of, kind of gets your attention. Did you know we are the church? Can you say that with me? We are the church. We are the church. We have the Word of God. We are the church. We stand against the powers of darkness. We are the church. We are clothed in robes of righteousness. We are the church. Death has no power over us. We are the church. We rattle the gates of hell. We are the church. We have the power of the resurrection. We are the church. We are triumphant in battle. We are the church. No weapon that is formed against us shall stand. We are the church. We will rise to meet Christ in the air one day. We are the church. We lift life's burdens. We are the church. We stand on our feet and cry holy unto the Lord. Would you stand to your feet and cry holy unto the Lord? We are the church. We sing the praises of Christ. We are the church. We are the shield of faith. We are the church. We use the sword of the Spirit. We are the church. We are on earth. We are the Lord's and the fullness thereof. We are the church. We sit at a table prepared before us. Are you excited about this? Then act like it. We are the church. We have mansions prepared for us one day in glory. We are the church. We will see him as he is, and we will be like him. We are the church. We will walk on streets of gold. We are the church. We bring a message of hope and love. We are the church. We're not perfect, but we're forgiven. Can you say amen? Amen.